Act Two of the Cabinet Minister by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Second Act Difficulties. The scene is a handsomely decorated and elegantly furnished morning room at Sir Julian Twombley's, with every evidence of luxury and refined taste it is a july morning sir julian is playing his flute mr melton a good-looking well-dressed young man enters carrying a few sheets of paper pardon me sir julian's flute gives a squeak oh melton the arrangements for this morning are quite complete sir julian the arrangements the arrangements for the opening of the new street oh to be sure i opened the new street to-day why on earth shouldn't a new street be opened by a policeman during the night, quietly? The dowager Lady Drumduris, fashionably dressed for out-of-doors, enters. Dowager in a flutter. Julian, good morning. A glorious day for the ceremony. Mr. Melton, is everything arranged? Mr. Melton bowing. Everything. I have a motive for asking i and my family accompany sir julian and lady twombley to lend weight and support mr melton to sir julian you leave here at twelve reach the new street at half past you speak from the cluster of lamps by st jude's church your speech will be terse elegant and vigorous i hope julian i hope so have you written it melton melton hands him the sheets of paper thank you the usual thing i suppose quite quite thank you there's nothing like the usual thing referring to his speech by opening up these majestic avenues london takes beer air i beg your pardon takes air into her system and keeps her place in the race with her sister cities excellent who will throw the bottle no one i hope you're thinking of the christening of a ship lady drumduris pardon me i have to see superintendent snudden now as to the police arrangements dear me you anticipate no pellets hardly it's so unfortunate it isn't a wet day julian an umbrella is such a safeguard i'll see that the carriage closes easily thank you and lady twombley might take an extra sunshade melton goes out the dowager closes the door carefully after him sir julian twombley reading i can conceive no position more agreeable to a minister of the crown than that which julian dora you wonder why i am with you at this early hour i need hardly say i have a motive i suppose so knowing that you were not going down to browning street this morning and that lady twombley and imogen were to take euphemia shopping in bond street i grasped the chance of seeing you alone julian what has happened to your wife to catherine there is a shocking change recently it began two or three months ago she's not the woman she was at the commencement of the season you alarm me in what way every way her appearance 
I haven't noticed it. Being her husband, it is natural you should not. Her variable temperament. At one moment she looks as if she would like to bury everybody. Me especially. The next she is laughing in a manner I must designate as positively provincial. Dora, you quite distress me. I came early for that purpose. Thank you. Perhaps you resent my interference. No, no. It would not deter me if you did. The grand motive of my life is a firm, undeviating, persistent policy of practical interference. I am a social warrior. The moment I sent domestic carnage, I hurl myself into the milieu and plant my flag. Julian, my flag is planted in your household. But I am aware of nothing disquieting to Catherine's peace of mind. Don't tell me. Two or three months ago there was a little difficulty. Ah. But it was mine, not Catherine's. Yours? Frankly, I was embarrassed for ready money. Oh, dear. But Catherine, who was really of an extremely thrifty nature, promptly placed her very considerable savings at my disposal, and the difficulty ceased. It never struck me your wife was thrifty. Nor me till that moment. Which shows how liable the most careful observer is to error. Resuming the study of his speech. Pray excuse me. Dowager to herself. <sighs> she goes up to the window. Sir Julian Twombley studying. I can conceive no position more agreeable to a minister of the crown. I'll go upstairs quietly than that which I occupy upon this occasion. He moves softly toward the door. The dowager turns suddenly. Julian. Dora. I don't like your wife's great friendship for Mrs. Gayluster. Catherine finds her a bright companion. Catherine has my companionship. It's true I can't cut a sleeve like that lady. It is to be regretted that poor Mrs. Gayluster is forced to follow the modern fashion of increasing her income by devices formerly practiced only by the lower middle classes. She sticks pins in her bosom as though she relished it. But, after all, Dora, Madame Morissette of Plunkett Street and Mrs. Gayluster, widow of Lord Bulpit's son, are two very distinct persons. Excuse me. He continues studying his speech. But what was she before her marriage? You must really give me notice of that question. I beg your pardon, I don't know. This lady now walks into your house as if it were her own. Ah! Your wife is positively canvassing for invitations for her. Julian. I shall be unprepared with my speech. My family comes before everything. Robin enters. Lord and Lady Drumdurse are inquiring for you, my lady. Beg them to come here. Robin retires. Ah, then, if you'll allow me. No, Julian. This is another family matter of terrible importance. My dear Dora. Keith and Egidia approach you at this early hour at my instigation. I have a painful motive. Oh, dear me. 
Egidia enters dressed in fashionable walking costume, her face pale and troubled. Egidia sadly. Sir Julian. My dear Egidia, there is nothing amiss, I hope. Uh, everything is amiss, Sir Julian. Julian, the relations between my son and his wife have become terribly strained. No, no. Indeed, yes. I have done all in my power to relieve the horrible tension. If anything, I have made matters worse. My hope is now centered in you. Here is Keith. Ah. Uh. Egidia sits upon a settee, staring before her. Drumdurus enters, looking much worried. Ah, mother. Grasping Sir Julian's hand with feeling. Sir Julian. He and his wife look severely at one another and draw themselves up. My dear Keith, what can I do for you? Ha! Explain, mother. Julian, my son and his wife, have cordially agreed to refer their grave differences to your judgment. Without binding ourselves to abide by Sir Julian's decision? Naturally. Pray, tell me the cause of dispute. The future of their child. Ah, oh, yes. The adjustment of the career he is to follow. That is precisely it. Dowager to Drumdurus. Where is Fergus? He accompanied us. He is with Angèle in the next room. Dowager calling at the door. Angèle! Angèle! Angèle outside. Milady? Bring Lord Aberbrothick here. Angèle, a French nurse, characteristically attired, enters carrying a richly dressed infant. Drumdurus and Agidia look into its face together. Figurez-vous, milord, qu'il a dormi pendant tout le trajet, et puis quand je suis descendu de voiture, il s'est réveillé en pleurant, ah mais en pleurant. Give me Lord Aberbrothick. She takes the child from Angèle. Wait in the next room, Angèle. Yes, milady. J'espère bien que Monsieur le Vicomte ne va plus crier, car ça pourrait faire de la peine à sa grand-maman. Angèle goes out. Now, Julian, this is the point. You see, Fergus, politics or the army? Politics. The army. Pray speak, Julian. Uh, um, perhaps it would be rather precipitate. I differ entirely. The child's intelligence must be directed into a particular channel from the beginning. In that, I hardly concur. For instance, the question of toys is already most urgent. He is without playthings at present, so his mind is quite open. You appear to have no views, Julian. Lady Drumdurus, let Sir Julian look at the height and character of Fergus's brow. Pray do. It's a soldier's forehead. Julian. She hands the infant to Sir Julian. Thank you. Politics or the army? Addressing the child in his arms. My dear Fergus, take my advice. Not, not politics. Ah. Uh. If you attach any trifling importance to veracity as a habit, not politics. If you would care at any time upon any subject to form your own opinions, and having formed them, would wish to maintain them, not politics. If you desire to be of the smallest service to your fellow man, 
and if you would sleep as peacefully at sixty as you now sleep at six months, not politics. Sir Julian. The army. Never. This is most distressing. Calling at the open door. Angèle. Angèle. Lady Twombley heard outside. Why, Dora? Catherine. Lady Twombley enters with Imogen and Lady Euphemia in walking costumes. How good of you to come early. Kissing Egidia. Egidia, dearest. To Drumduris. Good morning, Keith. Ah, you've brought Fergus to see me. The angel. With cries of delight, Lady Twombley, Imogen, and Lady Euphemia gather round Sir Julian and the baby. Oh, the pet. The mite. He is too sweet. Oh. Brooke enters. Brooke Twombley shaking hands with Drumduris. Hello. What's the matter? Earl of Drumduris with dignity. They are looking at my son. Angèle has entered. She takes the infant from Sir Julian. We've enjoyed a splendid hour in Bond Street. In and out of twenty shops, eh, girls? Yes, Aunt Kate. Yes, Mamma. Bought all we could think of and ordered the rest. My dear! Then why don't they abolish Bond Street? It's the crucible of London. Set your foot in it, and everything about you that's metal dissolves. Aunt has been too extravagant this morning. Extravagant? I? Oh, no. Only I dearly wish there was no such plague as money. If the little words thank you were the one universal current coin, what anxieties, what cravings, what follies some poor women would be spared. Why can't we buy choice stuffs at three and a half thank yous a yard? Oh, Aunt Kate. Mamma! It's nothing to laugh at. Ah, oh, girls, if thank you paid for everything, being out of breath would be our only bankruptcy. Oh, my poor brain. Imogen to Sir Julian. Mamma has a bad headache today, Papa. A headache? Never. Girls, what is it we bought and brought home with us? I forget. We didn't buy him, Mamma. We met him. You mean Cousin Valentine? Lady Twombley looking round. Of course, Valentine. Where is he? Valentine. Valentine enters very plainly dressed. Mr. White. Bowing stiffly. How do you do? Why, Val, what? We met the poor boy outside the tourist ticket office in Piccadilly. He's off again tomorrow. Off? Where to? Egypt. We shan't see him again for another ten years, I suppose. Oh, Mamma! The odd creature has heard of a congenial tribe who reside in excavations cut in a rock. <laughs> It'll end in my having a nephew who's a mummy. Oh, don't! Catherine, this child is not well. Yes, I am, Papa. But I don't like the idea of parting with anybody or anything. Even a, a kitten. Imogen, my dear. Be quiet, Mamma. The dowager, Lady Euphemia, Gidea, and Angel with the baby, go out. Imogen runs after them. Sir Julian resumes the study of his speech. 
Lady Twombley opens some letters which are lying on the table. Brook Twombley to Valentine. I never knew such a queer chap. Come upstairs and tell us all about it. What? Brook, Valentine, and Drumdurus go out. Oh! Catherine? It's all right, Pa. It's nothing. To herself. Gay luster. Reading a letter. I will accompany you and dear Sir Julian to the interesting ceremony of this morning. Pray keep me a seat in your carriage. Threshing the letter in her hand. Oh, the demon! The relentless demon! I can conceive no position more agreeable to a minister of the crown. <laughs> pa, dear, Mrs. Gayluster will go with us to the opening of the new street. Hmm. Catherine, are you sure that Mrs. Gayluster is quite... Oh, quite. If I were you, I should really think twice. Oh, I can't. Can't think twice? I can't risk offending such a dear friend. But, Catherine... Understand me, Pa. She will sit in our carriage. Then understand me, Catherine. I will not have my knees cramped by a lady whose social status is equivocal. Oh, Julian... Don't attempt to come between me and Mrs. Gayluster. Catherine! You will assist her into the carriage. You will help her to alight. When she arrives, you will be charmed to see her. When she leaves, you will be a mass of regret. You hear me? This is a most extraordinary friendship. It is an exceptional friendship. Pa, say you're delighted this great friend of mine is to be one of us today. Well, to please you, my dear, of course, I... Yes? I am delighted. <sighs> Sir Julian Twombley to himself. I see. I see the change in my wife that Dora spoke of. Pobbin enters with cards on a salver. At the same moment, the dowager enters and looks out of the window. Dowager to herself. They are punctual. Lady Twombley looking at the cards. Lady Macphail and Sir Colin. Not at home. If ever a woman was out, I am. Dowager to Proven. Stop. To Lady Twombley. Kate, what are you doing? This visit is planned by me. Why? I have a motive. Oh, Dora. Dowager to Proven. Lady Twombley will see Sir Colin and Lady Macphail here. Proven goes out. Ah, then, if you'll allow me. No, Julian. This is another family matter. Another? These people have called to formally propose for the hand of Imogen. To propose? Last night, at the ball of the Perth Highlanders. I danced the Strathspey and Reel with Sir Colin. In the excitement, I wrung from him an admission of his affection. Pa, what shall we do? Do? The head of the clan Macphail. Eighty thousand acres. Julian, 
Lady Twombley to herself. If it would provide for Imogen before the smash. If Imogen is a high-minded girl, she will be mad with delight. Will she? To herself. <sighs> and will she learn to look down on Pa and me when we are aged paupers? Pauban enters. Sir Colin MacPhail, Lady MacPhail. Lady MacPhail enters, dressed simply and quaintly in an old-fashioned silk gown, followed closely by MacPhail, whose clothes are capacious and clumsy, and who seems very ill at ease. Proben withdraws. Dear Lady MacPhail, Sir Colin. Lady Twombley shaking hands with Lady MacPhail and MacPhail. How do you do? Ain MacPhail. Oh, dear. Sir Julian Twombley shaking hands. Delighted. Lady Twombley to MacPhail. Pray sit down. You must be fatigued with last night's dance. Nor MacPhail is ever fatigued. But the poor lad feels like a caged eagle in the dress of the South. I am sure it is most becoming. Sit, lad. MacPhail sits, hitching up his trousers unhappily. You know the object of our visit, Sir Julian. Lady Drumdoris has hinted. The boy is here to pour out the passionate torrent of his love for your child Imogen. Speak, Colin. MacPhail rouses himself, rises, and looks round. Mother, you do it. He resumes his seat. Ah, if we were at Castle Balakaven, with the wind roaring round Ben Mukti, and the sound of the pipers playing by the shores of Loch Nadoch, then you would hear Colin's voice rise loud and high. As we are denied these obvious advantages, it is almost necessary to ask you to explain. The lad has met your child on but three or four occasions. Just three occasions, and a bit, mother. But he loves her with a love that only a MacPhail can experience. Of course one would like to know precisely the kind of affection that is. Naturally. Speak, Colin. MacPhail rises, embarrassed. I love her well enough. Bravely said. Delightful. To Sir Julian and Lady MacPhail. A grand nature. Go on, Colin. That's all, mother. He resumes his seat. Lady MacPhail to Lady Twombley. You've heard the lad. Distinctly. And we are all to meet next month as Lord Drumdurris's guests at Drumdurris Castle. It would be well if this engagement were settled at once. Without delay. The question, of course, is whether Imogen, um... Whether Imogen can return the affection... Which Sir Colin honours her by entertaining. Has the lad your permission to pour into her ear such impassioned words as he has just uttered to us? I think there can be no objection to that. Certainly not. When will your daughter grant him an hour for that purpose? An hour? Three quarters will be enough, mother. Bravely said. Charming. When, Julian? Hmm, when? When? Imogen's voice is heard outside. Imogen calling. Mamma, dear? When? I suggest now. Here is Imogen. 
MacPhail rises hastily and awkwardly. Imogen enters. Oh, I didn't know you had visitors. Shaking hands with Sir Colin and Lady MacPhail. Sir Colin, Lady MacPhail. Now, Julian, leave them together. Catherine. Imogen, my dear. Imogen comes to Sir Julian. Lady Twombley, the Dowager, Lady MacPhail, and MacPhail talk together. Talk to Sir Colin for a few moments while I look through my speech. Certainly, Papa. Sir Julian goes out. What an awful task. Taking a book from the table. Lady MacPhail quietly to MacPhail. Colin, let her hear how a MacPhail can love. Kissing him. My boy. To the Dowager and Lady Twombley. I'll drive round to Lady McQuirter's and return. Leave them. Ah, the pipers shall play to the homecoming of a bride at Castle Balakeven. She goes out. Come, Catherine, think of it. To be the mother-in-law of the head of the clan MacPhail. Dora, what's the use of a head with no tongue in it? The dowager and Lady Twombley go out. MacPhail looks round uneasily. MacPhail to himself. Where's mother? Imogen to herself. Oh, why do they leave us? But to MacPhail. Were you at the dance of the Perth Highlanders last night, Sir Colin? Aye, I was. Did you dance much? Aye, I did. Imogen to herself. He must make the next remark. MacPhail nerving himself and rising suddenly. Uh, Miss Toombley. Sir Colin. I... I just wish you had been there. Do you? Why? Because... Because... Because I'm thinking there was room for more people. Of course. She goes to the window and looks out. Lady MacPhail is just driving away. No. Yes, there she goes. MacPhail goes hastily to the window and looks out. MacPhail to himself. Oh! Mother! He goes out quickly, unnoticed by Imogen. She has turned the corner, Sir Colin. Did you see her? Why? Where is he? Valentine enters. She does not see him. Goodbye, Imogen. She turns to him. Ah! Oh. Falteringly. Why will you go away, Val? You know my craze. Everything in this country is so stuck up. Mamma's not stuck up, as you call it. Her gowns frighten me. My first recollection of anything is Aunt Kitty in a print skirt at a wash tub. Hush! Don't, Val! There now. You're horrified. One doesn't wish everybody to know. Then that's being stuck up, Imogen. Then we differ. Of course. Everybody does differ from me in this stuck-up country. Wish me goodbye. Imogen looking away. I presume my brother Brooke is stuck up also. Well, he appears to have fallen into the starch after that wash of Aunt Kitty's. Indeed. And Papa? Oh, of course. He's ironed out by the House of Commons. How very rude! Laying her hand on his arm. And am I... Altered, Val? Altered? 
the change is heartbreaking. Oh, how cruel! Altered, where are the tiny tea things with which you once played at making tea in your old schoolroom? Where is the hoop you used to trundle in Portman Square? The skipping rope Brooke and I turned for you till our arms nearly dropped from our shoulders. Where are the marbles I gave you? The top I taught you to spin. I say, where are these things and the jolly little girl who delighted in them? I'm a gem with much dignity. I think you're so violent that it isn't safe to speak to you. But I'll ask you one question. Pray do. Where is the good-tempered, curly-haired boy for whom I used to make the tea? The boy who taught me, very patiently, how to play the marbles and to spin the top? You see him. Oh, no. No, Val, no. Imogen, you don't mean, at any rate, that I'm stuck up? No, indeed. I think you're shockingly stuck down. He turns away, hanging his head. She comes to him. There. Now I've made you ashamed of yourself. No, you haven't. Then I will do so. Remain here. I will return in a moment. Don't stir. She runs out. Shall I run away? Ah, if she only knew how ardently I wish that she had changed still more, how I wish that she had grown quite unlovable, or I had forgotten how to love her. It's hopeless. I will run away. He opens the door and the dowager peeps in. May I come in? Eh? Oh, certainly. The dowager enters. Dowager to herself. What has become of them? To Valentine. Pardon me. Have you seen my niece, Imogen? She has just left this room. With Sir Colin MacPhail? No, no. A cab whistle is heard. Valentine looks out of the window. Dowager to herself. Where is he? I shan't sleep till I know it is settled. Here's Sir Colin, hailing a cab. Oh, something must have happened. She goes hastily towards the door. Valentine is in her way. Let me pass, please. I have a motive. She goes out as Imogen enters by another door, carrying a large old-fashioned box. Valentine. Why, what have you there? A modern young lady's jewel casket. Open it, please. Kneeling, he opens the box. Looking into the box. Imogen, the tea things, I recognize them. You see, I've never parted with my playthings, Val. Valentine White dragging out a large, faded, once gaudy doll. And here's Rosa. I helped to cut out Rosa's mantle. Battered old Rosa. Imogen taking the doll from him. Don't. All she may be, but her sex shall protect her from insult. And here are my marbles, and the top, ah, uh, the skipping rope. Imogen, perhaps I—I've I, done you an injustice. Do you think so? I feared fashion had put your bright little nature into tight corsets. But I—I see—I see. Imogen replacing the toys in the box. You see, Val. I see you have some affection for the time when you were not Miss Twombley, but only little Jenny. Oh! Not that those dumb things prove much. Oh, Val! 
they prove their own existence, not the existence of little Jenny. How unjust you are! Perhaps, but your words and actions are so unlike. Imogen wiping her eyes upon the doll's frock. No, no. I fancy we are children again when I hear you, but when I see your prim figure and stately walk I miss the little girl whose hair never submitted to a ribbon or a hairpin. Oh! Impulsively she lets down her hair and disorders it wildly. Valentine White not observing her. I miss the little Jenny with a tumbled frock. She quickly disarranges her bow and sash. The thoughtless romp who is generally minus one shoe. Valentine! She takes off a shoe and flings it away. Jenny! Now, play! Play marbles! What? Play marbles. They go down upon their knees. She deliberately arranges the marbles for the game. He staring at her blankly. My mark, play. I beg your pardon, Jenny. I've been all wrong. You have indeed, Val. Play. He plays seriously. Not within a mile of it. My eye is quite out. My turn. By Jupiter, you're still a crack at it. Am I? Then which of us has changed, you or I? She lays her hand on his. Val, don't go away and live in a rock. What am I to do? I'm poor Jenny, and I suppose I'm crazy. Any sort of horrid life would suit you, wouldn't it? I suppose it would. Then ask Lord Drumdurus to make you a bailiff or head gamekeeper at Drumdurus. Not rough enough. Why, you could get dreadfully dirty and wet through there every day. That's true. And, Val, we're all going up to Drumdurus next month. Are you? Yes, and if you like, I, I'll bring the marbles. Brooke enters. Imogen, oh, I say, what? Do you ever play marbles now, Brooke? Drumdurus enters. Marbles? No, billiards. Valentine collects the marbles and puts them into the box. Imogen to Drumdurus. Keith? Oh, Keith, do me a favour. Certainly. Offer my poor cousin, Mr. White, some post in or about Drumdurus Castle. What kind of post? Some wretched, inferior position, in which he needed to be very polite. What will you say if I propose such a thing? He'll be extremely rude, I think. But, oh, I shall be so grateful, Keith. Lady Twombley enters. Imogen, child, what has happened to your head? I, I've been playing marbles, Mamma. Not on your head. No, Mamma, upon the floor. With Sir Colin? Certainly not, Mamma. I don't know Sir Colin nearly well enough to sit with him upon the floor. Putting up her hair. Darling. Has Sir Colin made any remark of an interesting nature? No. He stammered a little, and, while my back was turned, he ran away after his mammy. Lady Twombley to herself. I knew it. Oh, why didn't we lock him in till he had provided for my poor child's future? Robin enters. Mrs. Gay Luster is here, my lady. Oh, that person! 
imogen snatches up the box of playthings and hurries out mrs gayluster enters robin retires mrs gayluster to everybody how do you do how do you do lord drumdurris charmed to see you how are you brooke brooke twombley to himself brooke impudence you look bilious kate she kisses lady twombley who sinks on to the settee brooke twombley to drumdurris it's too bad of the mater fancy a fellow making a chum of his tailor what mr white may i speak with you brooke dumdurse and valentine go out mrs gayluster examining the flute pa has been tootling again kate we must buy him a drum ah hello what's the matter as if you didn't know oh those awful bits of paper ah still worrying about those little bills of yours which my brother joseph holds eh those bills why doesn't the ink fade that's on them or the house bone that holds them impossible joseph and i have been taught to believe that there is a special providence watching over all bills of exchange come don't fume bill number one doesn't fall due till next month oh gayluster i shan't be able to meet it shan't you well i dare say joe and i will renew if you make much of us and pet us meanwhile don't think of the bills think of em i eat them they're on every menu i drink them they label the champagne my pillows are stuffed with them for i hear their rustle when i turn my restless head small as those strips of blue are they paper every wall of my home i should drive out then as much as possible when i do the sky is blue mrs gayluster carelessly taking up a newspaper at what time do we leave here sir julian and i start at twelve see that i'm not squeezed up in the carriage i don't play at sardines in this gown oh talking of sardines i shall lunch here to-day en famille gayluster you fiend i-i can't stand it don't quite see how you're going to get out of it it's true i owe that brother of yours thousands well we have kept your establishment going for some time but i don't owe you as much as a linen button joe and i are one no i'll never believe that a man even a money-lender would dance a set of devilish quadrilles on a lady when she's down as you're doing <laughs> i saw your brother on that one fatal night common person that he is he must have a heart under his vulgar waistcoat be careful don't insult my joe i compliment him i will appeal to him to protect me from your claws gayluster oh you will will you 
I will. Very well, then. Do it. Kate Twombley, go to that door and call my brother Joe. What? Do it. What do you mean? Open that door and call Joe. No, no. She opens the door and looks out. You are only frightening me. Call Mr. Lebanon. Mr. Lebanon. Mr. Joseph Lebanon outside. Hey! Lady Twombley utters a cry of horror as Mr. Joseph Lebanon enters. A smartly dressed, unctuous, middle-aged person of a most pronounced common Semitic type with a bland manner and a contented smile. Lady Twombley, delighted to find myself in your elegant house. Most recherche. Oh, how do you come here? Fan brought me. How dare she? How dare she? Hmm. Fan, I open trust, not a coolness between you and Lady T. Lady Twombley sinks into a chair. She was dying to see you. There's no pleasing her. Dying to see me? Flattered. Flattered. He sits in close proximity to Lady Twombley. Dear Lady T, you and I and nobody by, eh? Excuse my humour. How can I have the honour of serving you? Don't hesitate, Lady T, don't hesitate. I only wanted to beg you to rid me of that viper. That's going a little too far. There is a coolness, a trifling temporary coolness. Fan be reasonable. Lady T, be forgiven. Kiss and be friends. I know that you've got me, what's the expression, on something or another. I hope toast is not the word you require, Lady Tombley. Oh, yes, on toast. Oh, Lady T, Lady T. I know that if I can't meet those awful bills, you can drag my name into the papers and set all London grinning for a month. Oh, oh, Fan, is that my way of doing business? If you're a nice, honest man, as you look, you'll take her away and never, either of you, show your ugly, uh, show your faces here again. Ah, uh, Lady T, now we come to the aim and object of the morning call, which I have the happiness of making on you. Fan, you haven't explained to Lady T. You really must cut in. I shan't. Explain yourself. Lebanon rises, replacing his chair. My dear Lady T, the long and short of it is that Fan and I have considerable social ambition. You too, not you. And why not? Fanny, cut in. Go on, Joe, dear. Lady Twombley, it's been the desire of Fan and Self ever since that period of our lives which I may describe as our checkered childhood to reach the top of the social tree. <laughs> Lady Twombley, You'll pardon my remarkin' that you are a little trying. 
I say Fan and I desire to reach the top of the social tree where the coconuts are. Excuse my humour. Fan's had a whirl or two in the circles of fashion. She, a hanger on to the skirts of society. And very good skirts too when she makes them. Joe, drop that. Excuse my humour, Fan. As for me, from those early boyhood days when I made temporary advances of hapens to my sister Fanny, promptly and without inquiry, I have devoted myself to finance. Finance? But now, Lady T, T is a poetic figure, I am prepared to cut Nate on the frozen lake of gentility. Man. I ignore that innuendo. Lady Twombley, I am aware that for a successful entree into society, I require a, ha, a substantial guarantee. I have therefore the honour and the happiness to put myself under your shelter and I hope sympathetic wing. You, you will drive me mad. You won't dare to call here to contaminate my bell handle to send up your hideous name. Oh, Fan, I really can't. This is descending to a mere wrangle. Pray cut in. No, Lady Twombley. As the season is drawing to a close, Joseph certainly does not intend to attach himself to your London establishment. Not for Joseph. Excuse my humour. But he and I do mean to take our flight from town with the rest of the swallows. Pointing to a paragraph in the journal he still carries. Look here. We saw this paragraph in the paper yesterday. Read it. Lady Twomley knocks the paper to the ground. <laughs> Insolent. Joe, pet, read it. Fanny, this is really my trying picking up the paper and reading there are already signs of an exodus from town among the first of the notabilities to turn their faces northward are sir julian and lady twombley who will spend the autumn at drumdurras castle as the guests of their nephew lord drumdurras what is this to you <laughs> what's that to us Fan, what's that to us? Lady Twombley, we entertain a not unreasonable desire to spend our autumn at Drumdurris Castle. In the kitchen? Oh, Fan, I really can't. You must cut in again. As the guests of Lord Drumdurris. <laughs> Never. Bill number one falls due next month when you are at Drumdurris Castle. Nah, nah, Fan, do not mix up business with friendship. You know my rule. Get us to Drumdurris and we renew. Oh, Fanny, how plainly you put it. Don't. Never. Mr. Milton enters. The carriages are here, Lady Twombley. I, I'll come. Drumdurris enters, talking to Valentine. Imogen, Lady Euphemia, and Brooke follow. Then Agidia and Angel with the infant. Mr. Joseph Lebanon to Lady Twombley. Introduce me. Never. 
mrs gayluster to lady twomley introduce him i will not lady twomley he produces his pocket-book opens it and gives her a glimpse of the bills the bills oh she makes a futile snatch at the pocket-book lady twomley introduce me sir julian enters intent upon his speech the manuscript of which he carries in his hand sir julian twomley to himself i can conceive no position more agreeable to a minister of the crown scene lebanon eh mrs gayluster whispering to lady twomley now julian lord drumdurris brooke let me introduce to you mr lebanon mrs gayluster triumphantly to herself ah mr joseph lebanon triumphantly to himself ah lebanon grasps sir julian's hand warmly delighted to find meself in your elegant house most recherche shaking hands with all the others you'll know my sister fan elegant house this most recherche mrs gayluster runs to sir julian and taking a flower from her dress fastens it in his coat dowager outside catherine the dowager enters with her arm through macphail's lady macphail following i found the truant he had a motive mr joseph lebanon quietly to mrs gayluster is the duty mrs gayluster to lebanon old lady drum ah turning to the dowager and seizing her hand delighted hope to have the pleasure of meeting you up north catherine there is a general expression of astonishment and lady twombley sinks upon the settee end of the second act